John, introduce yourself. Uh, let everyone know who you are, what you do, what you're all about. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, so my name's John Anderson. I am the founder of Two Story Media, um, which is a PR agency is kind of the um, how it got its start. But I also run a music blog called Two Story Melody. Um, and I've been doing that for about six or seven years now. And kind of from that um, is how I got into the PR space. So, um, yeah, work with a lot of different artists from different genres, um, have a lot of expertise in um, PR specifically, but also a lot of different marketing uh, elements. And, yeah. Nice. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we like last time we talked, we talked a bit kind of like your journey in this. But um, yeah. what started first? Like, I'm guessing you were a music artist at some point, probably early on, but also like at some point you started music blogging and then at some point the media, two-story media came along. So what was kind of like the order of order of things in that? Yeah, so um, I, <laughs> I'm i a little hesitant to define myself as a music artist because I've never thought that <laughs> I was super good at music, um, but my family has always been very into music and I've always... Um, I mean, I've always loved songwriting. Yeah. So as a kid, um, I would play in some bands and write songs and things. Um, but I think I kind of realized, or I always kind of knew that I probably would not make it as an artist or as a as a musician. Um, but it's something that I always wanted to be like involved with and be a part of. I think for those of you who are musicians, like there's just you know that you're always going to be making music and always going to want to be involved with music. So there's some draw to that, even if you're like, well, I don't know if this career path will work out. Um, but yeah, so after college, um, I got a marketing degree and I was working at this B2B marketing company and it was, it was good. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to like hate on it or anything. Yeah. Um, unlikely chance that my boss is watching this, but, um, basically I was just like, ah, oh, man, doing marketing for IT companies, doing marketing for like tech companies is just going to make me feel very bored with myself as a person with my life. And so on the side, while I was doing that, I started a, a music blog, um, Two Story Melody, uh, to talk about songwriting. So I wasn't really making my own music at that point, but I was writing about my friend's music. Um, and yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the entry point for me. I have my mm -hmm. little brother right now is an aspire. I need to <laughs> I always say this, I need to call him a musician, not an aspiring musician. Um, he's in Nashville right now um, working as a singer-songwriter. So I also have um, worked with him on a lot of his like promotional stuff. That's kind of yeah. one of my um, like my core clients. I just use my brother for a lot of things. Nice. Funny, I, I had a consultation call with, with a client yesterday, and we I was looking through their Spotify for artist stats, and they were like showing me kind of everything they were doing for marketing. And... They like one of the things on their their website or something they showed it was like um, it was like a quote about their music that they put on their website and it, and it said something like oh this you know this song weaves like a amazing narrative and it really shows who this person is as an artist and it said John from Two Story Melody and I was like oh <laughs> so they like they had um, pitched their song to you for two story melody like recently i guess like it was their new song that dropped a month ago or something Do you know who it was i'd have to look at my calendar to see which person it was but um yeah i could find it yeah but it's it was just kind of kind of a small world situation i almost don't want you to find it just in case i don't remember who it is <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know I don't, I don't necessarily want to tell everyone who, who i work with but i'll tell you after the call 
<laughs> but um, it was kind of a small world situation. So like people submit music to two story melody. How, yeah. how do they do that? <laughs> so that was, that's an interesting experience. So the main way people submit right now is through submit hub. Um, we're on submit hub and we get, I think I should look at the stats, but I think it's like 30 to 50 submissions through there a day that we have submissions turned on. We actually turn off on weekends. Now we used to keep it on all week, but we turn off on weekends now. Um, and then we also get anywhere from like 10 to 20 submissions through just the contact form on our website too. Mm. Um, and it's honestly, it's really overwhelming. Like it's to work through anywhere from like 40 to 60 submissions a day is pretty much a full-time job. And then to sign those out for like people to actually write about it. Um, I did not realize when I was like starting the blog six or seven years ago, just how much like the sheer volume of music that there is in the world and how many people are reaching out and trying to do this stuff. Um, so when we first started out, like every time I got a submission, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like somebody knows about the blog. I'm going to write about them. Um, and then it's like over time as a crew, you start, you go from like, oh, this is awesome to like, oh no. It's, <laughs> how are we ever going to recover from this? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I can, our process right now, we try to get through everything, every premium submission on Submit Hub. So um, Submit Hub has like a premium credit option where you, as an artist, you basically pay a dollar and the blog reviewing it gets to keep 50 cents of that dollar um, to offer feedback on the song. So we try to get through all of our premium submissions on Submit Hub, and then we just try it to the best of our ability to get through email submissions. But honestly, if there's one that lags, it's that one. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's what people expect nowadays. Most people that email like a blog or a playlister, I th generally you'll assume that 90 plus percent won't ever even reply to you, period. Never mind, it'll take life. a while. Uh, it's just like they're they have submissions they can actually get paid a couple dollars for to sift through so it's, it's like it's a lot of a lot of places seem to just completely disregard their emails um yeah we try not to do that but it is hard it's like there is a incentive to go through submit hub and there's yeah. really no incentive to go through email but we do try yeah so we're not bad people <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hard. It's both sides. It's really hard. There's just so much music being released every day, and you can't blog about you can't blog about everything you like, because you would you'd have a team of like like ten thousand people just writing music for you all the time if that was the case, which is not practical. Um, someone actually asked a, a question that I think is very relevant to this, since you mentioned you're a submit hub. Um, what's better, submit hub or Muso Soup? And I don't know if you're also on Muso Oof. Soup. We're not on Musa Soup. Um, okay, I'm going to try and answer this carefully because uh, so I've talked. I know Jason and Chris. Chris is the founder of Musa Soup. Jason's the founder of Smith Hub. Both of them are good guys. Um, I think the hearts of both platforms are in the right place. Um, so I've written this before, so I guess I shouldn't feel hesitant <laughs> about saying it. But I, I would always opt for Submit Hub over Musa Soup. Um, it's a much bigger platform. There's more curators on Submit Hub. It's also much more developed. So um, I actually did an interview with Jason on my fledgling YouTube channel like a couple weeks ago. And he talked about how um, they're at a point where they can really be like picky with the curators they take on. Yeah. So they kick a lot of curators off of their platform 
And then Jason was like, and some of those curators that we kick off go to Groover or Musa Soup. <laughs> yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised usually, just because I, I know a few people who they'll, they, they've told me like, oh, I grew up a couple playlists to a couple thousand followers. I'm like, oh yeah, you should try to like get on Submit Hub or something. And, and then like I've seen people with like 8,000 playlist followers that they've been growing with, with ads and they know I have decent traction. They have the numbers to show how much traction they get. And Submit Hub will just reject them. Um, and because they're like, we just have too many Spotify playlisters. We don't really want any. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're really picky. They're even more picky about playlists than they are about blogs. Yeah. Um, so Mus- so Muso Soup is much more blog-focused, too, than Submit Hub. Yeah. Um, and the model of Muso Soup is different. So Muso Soup, you pay like 30 bucks. It's I think it's in in pounds. Yeah, it's, it's you either pay like 20 pounds equivalent. or 30 pounds to submit. Yeah. Right. Somewhere around there, you pay like 30 bucks um, US dollars and you go out to every curator on their platform. Like your song gets sent out to everybody. And then they have like, I think, 40 days to work through. Um, And the way that the model works is that curators have the option to uh, either place your song for free or to require payment for like the coverage that they provide. And so what, what you'll see happen is most curators will offer both the free and the paid option but the paid option is almost always better because they're incentivized to make it better and so even though you're only paying 30 bucks to start you end up paying a lot more for the coverage over time and yeah. i've seen that um my my biggest qualm with musa soup is that because it's 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 dangerously like on the line of payola to me whereas submit hub isn't quite as much but because curators are incentivized to offer these paid placements they then offer a lot more paid placements so like yeah. i've run dozens of campaigns on that and there are a few curators that every time they'll just make the same paid offer so it's like well if you're just going to offer this to everybody then the quality of the offer is inherently less but that said um i do think chris's heart is in the right place with it like he's he thinks that the that payol is kind of a dumb concept in the modern like marketing age which i kind of agree with um yeah but it's it's pros and cons with with Musa Soup, the benefit is you know that you'll get coverage. Like I've never run yeah. a Musa Soup campaign and not gotten gotten some coverage from it. Um, I would say that the quality of the curators on Submit Hub tends to be higher, and there's definitely a lot more of them. Yeah, Muso Soup is something that I don't normally recommend for most people, and, and I've I've talked to Chris and and Jason, and I tell everyone to use Submit Hub just because I feel like it's it's you pick who you're submitting to. You know, there's no guarantee, mm-hmm. but it's cheap. With Muso Soup, there's, and I also agree that like I've, Chris seems like a great guy. His intentions are awesome. Um, but the thing that happens is like I used Muso Soup to promote my album this year, Double Think, and so I submitted my album. You know, paid the fee and waited for offers to start coming in. And then all the offers, I would say like 95% of the offers, said something along the lines of like, you know. Hey Andrew Southworth, we really enjoyed your song. And immediately, one they sentence like, in it. Well, they did not read. They that didn't pitch. even realize it was an album. They said song, and they didn't specify right. which song. So I realized they're not going to listen to the whole album. But like, if they listen to one song, they would say like a specific song, not just you know, and or, or they'd say something like, "We we would be interested in covering your song, not album." <laughs> and so I was immediately and, like, yeah. just you know, no, no, I didn't even accept their free promotion because I was like, I. Yeah, and that's the, that is the biggest. That's exactly it. It's like they're incentivized. I think yeah. there are a lot of curators on the platform who just every time they see a submission, they're like paid, 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 paid. Yeah. 
which the I did get some great reviews, I will say, and it was fairly yeah. priced. And I know I'm in Chris's. Um, I'm a curator on Muso Soup. I've never actually done a submission on there, because, <laughs> but um, I'm in their like Facebook group for their curators, and he's pretty strict at making sure that like the curators don't nickel and dime artists. Like if he mm. sees someone offering like fifty bucks for a blog art article, he will tell them no. You can't charge that much. You have to charge something like. Like, you, this can't be something that you make a killing off of. The point of Muso Soup mm. is the amount you charge just supposed to, like, bear, just make it worth the time that you might spend writing it. Like, it's not supposed to be something you make a killing on. Um, which is good. I think that's a, a good balance that he's trying to strike, but it is a problem. And But the articles that I did get written that I offered to pay for, they were great. You know, they were... Yeah. I paid, like, 10 bucks or something for someone to write a decently lengthy detailed article in my album um and i get to share that and put it on my website and share it to my audience and it looks good so i, I think it makes sense but it's it's a they're it's kind of a weird platform Just, <laughs> yeah it feels a little weird yeah yeah i think you hit the nail on the head with like the problem with it that the model the model the positive of the model is like it almost guarantees coverage but yeah. you can't get away from the negative that like most of the coverage is just going to be yeah. kind of spammy so as long as artists go into that with that mindset to know that like oh it's not that everyone loves you and wants to cover your song they just want your money then they'll be fine <laughs> you know because you just ex avoid all those and only accept genuine people that seem interested yeah um, it might make you feel a little worse about the world but <laughs> yeah yeah fine. definitely does um so kind of on this note, you know, we're talking about your blog and Muso Soup and Submit Hub. Um, this kind of brings up the whole topic of doing PR. So I guess, you know, when, I guess, first of all, if you could kind of go through, like, what is your definition of what PR is for music artists? Who should do it? And also, what do you do for artists if they were to, if you were to help them do PR for their new song? That's a great prompt, Andrew. It feels like an, an ECR in high school. ECR? Extended Constructive Response. Oh. Vanessa. Never even heard that, <laughs> that um, acronym before. <laughs> um, okay, so let's see. So what is the question? What is PR? Um, who should do it? And, and when you do it for an artist, what are you actually doing for them? Okay. All great, all great questions. Okay, so I'll start with the with the definition of PR. Um it's pretty, so I think on the one hand, there's a super broad definition of PR that if you like Google, what is the definition of PR, which I've, I frequently do because I always forget it, um, will show up. And then there's a definition of PR that like most people actually understand PR to be. So the, the broad definition of PR is anything like impacting public perception um, of a brand. Uh, I'm sure that's not the Google definition, but that's essentially what it is. And almost anything can like fall under the broad definition of PR. Um, but practically, if you are like hiring a PR agency for your music, the narrower definition that almost everybody understands it to be is like the process of getting press coverage um, for your music. So like articles written in blogs, and then some people do like podcasts or um, basically like more traditional media outlets. Um, PR is the process of getting placements in those. So, um, what was the other thing you said? Who should do it? That was yeah, and I guess question. by who should do it, I mean, like, um, at what point is an artist ready for it? Yeah, so this is, 
I have maybe an unpopular, well, I definitely have an unpopular opinion among PR folk because I'm actually not super gung-ho on PR as like a incredible marketing tool. I think PR has a really specific uh, use. I think it really does a, a couple of things. It helps you to tell your story as an artist. Um, so you have your, you kind of know what you're about, but just giving somebody else the chance to write what you're about and to talk about a song, talk about your backstory, whatever, like kind of helps to shape the story. Um, and doing that gives you something to share with your fans so that your fan, like your existing fans can engage more deeply with your story. Um, I always talk about how, like, I'm a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'll watch a Steelers game. And then after the game, like I'll go read a recap of the game, even though I know exactly what happened in the game. Cause I just watched it. Like, I just kind of want to re-enter into the same story. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I view PR for artists. It's like the news articles about the Steelers aren't converting new Steelers fans. It's not like, um, they're attracting like new fans to the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's like existing fans are going to enter into the story more. Um, and that's kind of the role that I think PR plays for artists. Hmm. Um, I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe that, it that way, but that, that makes a lot of sense because you're right. Like when am I ever, if I go to a music blog or something, I'm not going to click on an article or search for a band I've never heard of. I'm only going to read the stories not, about the bands that I want to, that I'm digging at the moment, you know? Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, and I, I, I kind of came to that realization just looking at the data on two-story melody. We have like, uh, I don't know what it is this month, but it's around 10% of our users return every month. So that means like 90% of our audience is new every month. Um, and it's just the way it works is like, we'll write an article about an artist. That artist will share the article with their fans. Their fans will come check out the article um, and then everybody goes their separate ways. Like their fans don't just read two story melody to discover new artists. It's just, they yeah. came to enter into the story about the artists they already liked. Um, and I think from what I've seen that bears out, even on the biggest platforms like Rolling Stone or Billboard or Pitchfork or places like that, it's like, yeah, those places have more of an audience than two story melody does, but still the vast majority of the audience is only going there when they write about an artist that they already like. It's not like they're just on Pitchfork every day. Like, Right. That's not how new music discovery works. Um, so that's that's the role of PR. Um, and then it also serves the purpose of like a credibility booster. So it engages your current fans. And then it's also just a nice line to have on a resume. So if you go to like pitch yourself to book shows or if you go to pitch other blogs in the future, um, it's like on your one sheet, on your EPK, um, you can have quote, like that guy that you were consulting with, he had my yeah. quote about his music on his press kit. And that, is something that might open doors for you when you go to pitch for other opportunities. So those are, those are the two um, roles and purposes of PR. Um, with those things in mind, I think there, in my mind, there are two use cases where you should do PR. Um, I would actually recommend that if you're just starting out as an artist, that you that you do do some PR, but that you do it by yourself um, on platforms like Submit Hub or Musa Soup or Groover. Um, because I think it's a pretty easy way to just establish like a baseline of credibility. So if you have no music in the world, like if you have very little social presence, like it's not actually that hard to get a couple of articles written about you. And that way when people find you and they Google your name, they're like, oh, this is a legitimate artist. Like other people like them and have written about them. Like there's a story that they can enter into a little bit more. So I would do, if you're a new artist, I think it's a worthwhile investment as you're just starting out. Um, to get in some of those mid-tier blogs that are on those platforms. I would then say that 
like once you have some coverage, you almost don't need any more coverage for like at least another year. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't have to pitch your song for placement in blogs um, every time you release a song. Like if you're releasing 12 songs over 12 months, you don't have to do every song um, because the point is already made. Like you, you got the social proof. Um, there's something for fans to enter into. It's just going to be like more of the same and kind of a waste of your money. Yeah. Um, I would say that, when you get to a point in time when those articles written about your music no longer seem like relevant or recent, then maybe do another round. Mm. Or I would say if you get to a point in time where your story becomes bigger than it was when you were doing that first round of pitches, like if you were getting placed in bedroom blogs and now you have like 10 million streams and you've opened for uh, Harry Styles or something, like <laughs> if you're ready to get some placements in major outlets, yeah. then I would hire a PR firm. Um, and I would ask them to get me some placements in major outlets. But those are kind of the two types of people that I think PR makes the most sense for. Right. So that, and so what you said about how it doesn't really generate new fans is how you hear all those stories of artists who will spend like a thousand, two thousand, six thousand, whatever it is on PR and essentially claim that they got nothing from it. And usually what they mean is they got a bunch of articles written on maybe what were good <laughs> places. But yeah. it didn't translate to, for example, Spotify or Instagram numbers or or merch sales or website visitors because it just wasn't right for them at the time. And then, <laughs> so for new artists, it sounds like recommendation is do some do the, the small platforms that we all already know about. Get on some basic things. Do it whenever it's relevant. Like you have a new sound or a new milestone to talk about, like a new album, but don't do it for every mm -hmm. song. And then probably wait until you're much more established to actually spend the big bucks and hire a multi-thousand dollar PR agency. Yeah, and um, it might help to talk about like the model of the bigger outlets and why that is the case. So most of those outlets that you've probably heard of, like Pitchfork and Rolling Stone and Billboard and American Songwriter, um, they're owned by like media conglomerates that are they own like a portfolio of sites and the way the business works is through ad revenue like clicks yeah and so those those media conglomerates they only want to write about things that will draw traffic they're not going to write about an artist if that artist isn't going to draw traffic to the site and so when you have a following that is like a sizable number that a media conglomerate would think oh this person would draw traffic to our site that's when they would be interested in covering you and that's when it would make sense um before that point, there's yeah. just no there's no incentive for them to cover you because it would just be a waste of their time and money. But on the other side, so those are like the media conglomerates. You have independent blogs like Two Story Melody, Atwood Magazine. Um, I think Stereo Gum is still independent. Um, but there's some like there's mid tier blogs that maybe have a little bit of name recognition in like the musical community, but probably not if you just ask some random person at the grocery store. Um, and those are the places that will cover indie artists. And I would target those if you're like just starting out or if you're kind of re, you have a new sound or something more newsworthy. But basically until you have an audience that's going to drive ad clicks, the biggest players won't care about you. So on Two Story Melody, do you have ads? I think you do, right? We have ads for Bandzoogle right now. Um, oh, okay. But it's like, a, yeah, we don't have like Google Display ads on there. Is there a reason for that? Uh... It's basically just that I don't like looking at ads. Okay. Um, I mean, that's, that's a fun I put one. I had ads on there for a little while, and it was driving, like, I think we were making, like, 90 bucks a month or something. 
Yeah. And I was like, it's just not worth it for me to make 90 bucks a month and look at these crappy ads. <laughs> so I took them off. That was yeah. a couple of years ago. So I wonder if it would be a little bit like if the income would be a little bit better now, but I still, I mean, that, on, on one of my blogs, um, the music growth machine blog, I added Google display ads to it once it had enough content. Yeah. How's it going? And I, I did it through a Zoic, which is like a ad. I forget what they call right, it, but like a, they, they use all this, that, these AI yeah. tools to like make your CPM. You basically make more, more money per thousand views with, when you go through them, but there's, how's it going for you? It's going pretty well. I mean, it's, I don't really have a baseline cause I've never really made money on a blog before. Um, yeah. So I'm not really hundred percent sure. I will say, and I have, I don't know what the actual CPM rate is. I'd have to check the, the stats on that, but it's like, you know, I launched the blog this year and it has like 40 articles on it and it makes like 10 bucks a month. So it's not, That's pretty it's good. getting relatively low traffic. Um, so it feels like it's like a fair, like, I don't know if I'm maybe like a thousand page views a month or something, maybe 2000. I don't really know, <laughs> um, but it's something low and it's making like 10 bucks. And so, but I also have like affiliate links in there and course links in there, which I would assume make substantially more than the ad revenue. I would guess so too. But that's uh, the Banzoogle ads we have are affiliate rather than like um, yeah. CPC. So you essentially have no, because you're not reliant on ad income also, you have no reason to choose an artist with a bigger audience also. I mean, I guess it would still bring more traffic to your site, which hell always is a good thing. But yeah, um, that's that's pretty much true. The biggest so the biggest factor for me in choosing an artist is if I have a pre-existing relationship with them, mm. which is probably not cool to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it. It makes sense, and a lot of like when you hear about it from like major labels like oh this artist got on this spotify editorial playlist because they're friends with blah 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 or whatever you know their brother is the guy who owns build like runs the billboard blog or whatever but if 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 you were in a band like and by you i mean like you person watching this live stream slash video right now if you were in a band that had i don't know five million monthly listeners on spotify and your best friend was trying to get their band off the ground and they were like want to do like a song together he'd be like hell yeah man i'll help you out like you know who wouldn't do that like if i was in that right. position i would help yeah, all of my friends nature i would share their stuff and i as long as they're good like you know if they're if they're absolute awful i'll be like you have to you have to get a little better but like assuming they're reasonably you know good i'll, I'll happily help them and um that's where some of the a lot of the backdoor things start to like make sense yeah, I think it is just human nature. Um, and that's always what I preach is like the value of PR firms too. What you're mostly paying for are the relationships that they've built yeah. up with outlets. It's just when someone, when they email somebody, that person recognizes the name in the, in the email inbox. Like that's what you are paying for. So when someone but it is a little hires bit, you to do yeah. it, um, you're not just going on SubmitHub and Miso Soup and throwing it out there. You Well, I'll usually use, I do use SubmitHub and Miso Soup um, in supplement to the campaign. So I'll usually do like, I would say 80% email and then 20% um, submit hub, Musa soup. I have different packages. Um, but the, the challenge is that I would say 80% now of uh, like independent blogs are on one of those platforms. And so if you're, if you're not using one of those platforms, um, 
you're just missing out on a big swath of the blogosphere. And it's, it actually has gotten, this is part of why I am not super gung-ho on PR for myself. Cause like, um, the business of PR, especially the mid tier, like indie PR world has gotten harder as those platforms have grown. Yeah. The relationships that you built even three years ago, like a lot of the, those people are now on submit hub or something. Um, and that's why I would say if you're an artist like and you're looking to do PR, the first thing you should do is try one of those platforms before you, you pay a PR firm. Yeah. I guess the relationships will still help you on Submit Hub as, as long as because like wh when you get a song on Submit Hub, like it says the email of the person sending it to you. And so it does. It, they I think they do help. Um, but just from experience, they don't help that much because <laughs> they're going to respond to you either way if you do a premium submission and um yeah, it's just, I haven't really seen like a higher approval rating from people that I know personally versus like people that mm. I don't, I haven't yeah. like run the stats. So but just anecdotally. Gotcha. Um, we just covered PR. So now I want to talk about what other things you recommend <laughs> artists to do to promote the music since PR, not really a marketing tool generally. It's more of like a further tool to engage well, it depends how you define marketing i guess but yeah it's, yeah it's, it's not it's not like a fan attraction tool yeah so what would you tell artists to invest their time and money into when it comes to marketing their music and getting new new ears on a song yeah so in terms of new ears on a song um well i kind of want to back up i feel like they're um are a few different stages to music marketing. So I would put PR in more of like the conversion stage. Like if you have a funnel, mm -hmm. you have like traffic generation, uh, which I think is the question you're asking. And then you have um, like engagement conversion. And then you have like further monetization of your audience. Um, but in terms of the top of the funnel, so like bringing new ears and eyes to your music, I think that the the biggest plays right now are short short form video content, so TikTok, um, Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts, um, and then I also think Spotify functions as like a a platform that sends ears and eyes to your music. So if I was going to just solely use digital channels to get eyes and ears on my music, I would pick one social media platform and I would post religiously multiple times a day short form video content, um, maybe supplement it with ads. And then I would, um, I would probably do, I mean, it depends. It's all budgetary constraints too, but if just yeah. money's no object, I would run playlisting campaigns. Um, I would run, um, Facebook ads campaigns to Spotify and that would be the traffic gen I'd use. Cool. So I guess to dive into the weeds on that for posting on social media religiously, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, what an awful life. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. What do you, and I don't, you might not have enough experience in this particular area, but like, what would your words yeah. of wisdom be for an artist? Like, you know, they're like, what do I do on social media? What would be like your like 30 second prompt for, to tell them what to do? Yeah. I'm by no means like a TikTok expert or anything. Um, but I think that the key is storytelling on any platform. Um, so if you can like, if you can create an engaging story that aligns with your song and your brand and um, those things, and then you can tell that story in like an eight second format and just <laughs> tell more and more of those stories, um, that's what I would try to do. I see one format that I 
I think I heard about this in like a CD baby podcast. Um, but it's like, you kind of give the backstory for the song in a, in a quick soundbite, like pithy soundbite. And then you sing along with the song. So it's like, this is the song for when you're standing in the grocery line and ahead of you, you see your ex and then you like, you sing whatever, but basically tell the story of your song and then like kind of present the song. And I think that format works because it's immediately like hooking people like, okay, this artist, this song is for me. Right. Um, but I think the more clearly you can distill like, who am I as an artist? Um, who, what is this song about? Who is it for? And then like present that information. Um, that works in any format, but in short form video, like that's the, that's the gold mine. Yeah. That's a great answer. Do you think TikTok is the platform right now or are there, are there few platforms that are maybe worth trying? Or does it depend on the artist? Andrew, Andrew, I'm not the person to ask this question because <laughs> I, I really don't like TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of. But I do boat. think, I do think it's the platform right now. Like if you're going for just straight organic reach, because it's in like you see the journey with all social platforms. It's they start uh, with big organic reach to yeah. draw on the audience, and they've gathered the audience, and then slowly they monetize the audience so i think in the next like five years you'll probably get a much lower organic reach than you do on tiktok right now but right now it's man you can you don't have to have followers on tiktok to like get in front of a ton of eyes um, yeah. because it's so topical it's like if you have a video that blows up it doesn't matter it, you can have something blow up without having a ton of followers which yeah. is pretty unique to tiktok right now i don't think that'll be true in like three or five years but it's definitely true right now yeah um and then whatever new platform will be the next thing. Although one trend I've noticed in social media is that a lot of the new platforms that are coming out, and maybe this is something as a side effect of Gen Zers growing up in a social media era, but a lot of the new platforms are focused around, like there's no algorithmic stranger feed. It's all only like friend to friend. So like, for example, that Be Real app that's like exploded in like yeah. the last month. You, there's there's like there's a timeline but there's no like t like hashtags there's very there's no video it's for the most part you you add your friends and you see what your friends are doing and maybe they'll change that because i don't know how they'll make money with that but and i think yeah i think apps like that are going to be a harder like marketing use case for music oh totally not that it yeah wouldn't work but the reason tiktok tiktok has a few things going yeah but I think that will be a trend, but I also think, like, that'll make marketing harder. I think it will, too. That's kind of what I'm, I'm worried about, is that, like, if everyone's getting just exhausted with social media and they only just want to yeah. see their friends, they don't want to see, you know, all this random noise, um, it's like, what does that do to the whole social media marketing thing, right? I mean, like, maybe there'll still be ads on those platforms. So that, that side might say the same, but the organic side might be different. And I, I don't think it'll go away entirely, but you know, it seems like that's been a trend in the past year or two that more of those platforms kind of arise up. Like there's that Instagram replacement. I forget what it's called. Um, Peter McKinnon did a video about it, but it's the same kind of thing as Be Real where there's no real like stranger feed. Like you only, like you... By default, everything you post only goes to your friends. And if they're not friends with you, no one can see it. That's like the default of that app. Mm. What it's called? Vero? Vero? I think that's... But um, okay. it's... So, and all these have come out, like, relatively recently. So, that'll be interesting. I think those are sweet ideas. Like, that seems like a much healthier thing to be looking at. But Yeah. I, I think so, too. But 
for as as the human Andrew. That's how I feel. As the music marketing music artist Andrew, I'm like no, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but now uh, on the playlisting side, what do you recommend artists do for getting on Spotify playlists? Do they hire a company online that promises them a bunch of streams for a pile of cash, or do they use SubmitHub, or do they email people, or other? Yeah, I don't know if there is like one perfect solution. Um, each of those options that you just ran through has their pros and cons for sure. Um, so SubmitHub playlists—that's a—that's gr a great option. Um, I have a very high level of confidence in like the veracity of followers on SubmitHub playlists and like the health of those playlists um, because I, I think Jason is really stringent on the curators he takes on. But the downside of SubmitHub playlist curators is that you almost never see like the biggest uh, playlist on SubmitHub because yeah. if you run a big playlist, there are networks that pay you a lot more to review than SubmitHub does. So yeah. like Playlist Push is one where you can make like 15 bucks per review if you have a big following, whereas SubmitHub, you're going to make like 50 cents per review. Over an hour, that adds up to a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so the bigger playlists tend not to be on SubmitHub, but it's a great place to find like lots of the little playlist curators. Um, email, most, that's that's not a great channel for playlist curators. Um, when, I, when I run playlisting campaigns, which I actually rarely do now for two-story, um, most of the success comes through like uh, Instagram or like DMs on social platforms mm. um, rather than email for playlist curators. Um, and that works, but increasingly I think it's harder because playlisters are like why like now versus three years ago, like people are more aware that they can get paid for reviewing artists. And so it's, I would say, 50 plus percent of the people that you reach out to that have a legitimate playlist will then ask for money in return for placement, yeah. which is elite, which is against Spotify's terms of service. Um, not everybody will, but it just takes, it takes a lot of legwork to find the 50 playlists that might be a fit, work through all those and then get rejected half of those, get half of those people asking for money and then get like two people to place you. So it definitely works, um, but it is a grind. I think if you're willing to put in the time and you don't have the budget, that's a great option, but you just got to have a tough skin. And then in terms of paying the companies, um, well, it depends on the company that you go with. And Yeah. The, the company thing is, is hairy because there's like, you never know which company is good or bad. So um, I guess you've reviewed a bunch on on one of your blogs. Is it on Two Story Melody? Yeah, Two Star Melody has a secret side music promotion in the footer, so it's not like on the front side of the site, yeah. but so, uh, that's where the post. There's is. a link um, in the description right now for Two Story Media, so if you guys want to check out that site, you should be able to find Two Story Melody fairly quickly as well. But um, there's a lot of great music marketing blog content on there. I think did I reach out to you, or did you reach out to no, me? I think I don't remember. I I reached out to you, Andrew, but I'm flattered that. Yeah, I don't because I, I I almost hit you up when I first saw your your blog because I saw your music marketing stuff like a short while nice. before we started talking. But um, you've reviewed a bunch on there of these services, which I'm guessing is because you've actually used a lot of them. Um, which ones have you found are good? I guess that way we don't have to talk about the bad ones and risk getting sued. 
Yeah, well, sorry, I do this a lot. I, my brain is all usually very jumbled, um, but I'm going to back up and just kind of tell the story of how I started, like, reviewing playlisting companies, because yeah. I think that is helpful in sorting through it. Um, so I wrote a blog post well, a long time ago, a long time ago, I mean, like, four years ago. That feels like a long time. Um, I used Omari's. Spotify promotion, which probably most people, if you've thought about Spotify promotion, you've stumbled across the name Omari. Um, and I wrote a review of Omari's Spotify promotion. Um, and it, you can, I, the review is still up on the blog. You can go read it if you want to. Um, if you Google like Omari MC review, it'll probably come up. Um, but it was okay. And I wrote, then I started getting interested in like what other companies are doing this. And so like I kind of collected a list of companies and I wrote a blog post about like here's some of I think I might have had five in the first article. Um and I was clear in the article, like I haven't used all of these companies, but here's some of like the top uh companies in the game based on what I'm seeing. As soon as that article started ranking on the first page of Google almost like immediately after it was published. Um and so the side effect from that was almost immediately I got all these other companies reaching out to me and being like, hey, why aren't we on the article? <laughs> <laughs> like, we're better than, I don't, they're, they're all named like the same thing, like playlist pitch. Like yeah, playlist yeah. Push, Play, playlist, like yeah. Playlist promotion, like, uh, not, I mean, those are all great names, guys. Don't get offended if you're watching <laughs> this. It's very explanatory, but, um, so it's hard to keep them track, keep, keep them straight. Um, but I started getting a bunch of these companies reaching out to me and asking for inclusion on the article. And so what I started doing was like, Hey, um, I'd like to review your service so I can like determine how it works and if it's good. Um, and then depending on how that goes, like I'll consider adding you to the article. And so that's what I've been doing for the last like three or four years is I probably get a request or two a month from random companies that I've never heard of. Um, and I ask if they'd let me trial a campaign and then, um, I'll trial the campaign and I'll see how it goes. Um, yeah. And then I'll write a review of it. And if it, I think it was a successful campaign, I'll add it to that post. And right now that post is at 12 companies and I'm probably going to keep it at 12 because past that it just kind of gets meaningless. Um, yeah. But the, the top five, I think on there right now, I have Indie Music Academy. Um, I have You Grow, Playlist Push. Uh, Omari is still in my top five. And... I got an email from You Grow today, actually, asking if I'd be willing to like do something with them. <laughs> I never they, heard of yeah, them before, I, so that's why when you said it, they're good. it came up. Yeah, they're good guys. Um, they do. I just did a review of their TikTok promo service. They do like it, the, the service I did was TikTok ads to a to a profile, mm. and it was interesting. It got like fifteen hundred followers for a spend of about three hundred bucks, but most of the followers were not super high fit. Um, yeah, and I'm so. guessing like at that point. Like, I know how to run a TikTok follower campaign myself. Oh, uh, it wouldn't be. Yeah, it's just something that, like, if you, if you don't, know don't want to do click the buttons yourself. Yeah, yeah right. I'm um, sorry. I'll, um, I'll let you continue with your top five. I, I interrupted your top five. No, no, you're good. Andrew, you can interrupt me. Never. It's my show. I'll interrupt you when I want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead, man. Now I feel insecure. Um <laughs> So let's see. There's a couple different approaches to playlisting. And so the companies on that I just mentioned use some of those different approaches. Um, 
one of them is SEO based playlists. And so the idea behind that is like, if you search acoustic dinner party, or like if you search some keyword on Spotify, these are the playlists that appear first for that keyword. And so these companies like target those playlist curators and try to add them to their network. Is that Moonstrive Um, Media you're talking about? Moonstrive is one of those. Indie Music Academy does that too. Those, Those are and I actually just posted a review on Moonstrive Media today, and I added them. They're right. I added them to number six on that on that post. I'm. I just um, finished a trial campaign with them. They're the first playlist company I've tried in like three years or something, like a paid service. Yeah. So and it's like I'll, I'm gonna make a video on it. But what, what was your? I'll give you my my take on the SEO based playlist world, and then I'm interested to hear if you agree. So yeah. I think the the pro of the SEO based playlist is that um, like the lists are, are healthy and engaged because Spotify is incentivized to like take playlists away from the search results if they're fake or if they're built with bots. Um, so you kind of have Spotify's stamp of approval and then you also have like a clear and obvious source of traffic to the playlist. It's people who are searching for some keyword and they're finding it. Um, so the lists tend to be, like if you look at the growth curve of any of the Moonstrive media or any of the IMA lists, um, they're all like very solid upward growth curves because of that SEO traffic. Yeah. The downside is that they're really not great at like genre fit um, because search terms, high volume search terms, like are not necessarily aligned with genre. So you'll have like uh, soundtracks, like festival stuff, like stuff that just is not directly related to yeah. probably you as an artist, but that people are searching for. And so their networks often aren't very like yeah specific to artists they're very broad and so what i've found is that if you want to generate like the way that a playlisting campaign should work is that you have the playlisting spike and then after the spike like it settles at a new normal it's always going to dip back down after you're on the playlist but the hope is that you're able to generate enough good data from people who are engaged um who like your music who are streaming it multiple times saving it whatever that you do like reach a new level that is higher than the old level the problem with the SEO base is that they drive a ton of streams because the lists tend to be very engaged, but I think that the streams tend to be a little bit less of a fit than some of the campaigns I've run that are smaller, but are like these real specific niches. So what I found is that you have to just, you have to throw a lot of volume at it and you have to get a little bit lucky with the SEO based stuff. You're going to get a ton of streams, um, but I would say one out of five times, it'll settle at the new level and the other four out of five times, you'll be back. Um, gotcha. at the place you were before. So it's it's pros and cons. Um, I know, Andrew, I've heard you talk about this. I know people hate on playlisting. Um, I, I am not a playlist hater. I think that it makes sense um, for like certain use cases. And I think that, like I've just seen enough campaigns that like you run it, you get the spike and you settle at a new normal that I'm I'm a believer that it can work. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not like a hundred percent against it. I'm a hundred percent against people using it as their sole form of promotion. Because hmm. I've seen people like if they have, you know, three hundred dollars or five hundred dollars, they'll go put a hundred percent of that or like ninety percent of it in playlisting, and that might be the cheapest yeah. short term promotion. But long term, it's like they'd be way better off if they spent that same money in ads, or or even like that's a good most of it in ads. But like doing both, I'm actually I think is a good. A good balance because like the streaming the, the playlisting campaigns get you like cheap bulk streams and as long as the playlists yep. are engaged and they're real they're not bots then it's fine but the the facebook ads give you the followers the saves the playlist as targeted ads. as you can get 
Yeah, and so when you blend the two together, it can actually be perfect because you get this obscenely high save rate and playlist ad rate and repeat listen rate from the ads. You get all those like much lower engagement because like people are passively listening from the playlist stuff, but you get way more streams. And so it's just, it seems to work well in combination. That That's exactly the approach that I recommend to people. If you, if you can do both, like I think the pros and the cons of each of those approaches like balance each other out perfectly. The problem that happens a lot of time is people don't have enough money to like, yep. <laughs> like to, to, to do a, a good thing at, at both the same time. And the other thing is like, how do you know which companies to trust? And I guess one way to know who to trust is to go read, to go read John's blog post on <laughs> which companies, cause you've tried them all. And, and honestly, like, I, so I know Ryan from Indie Music Academy. Um, I have access to his Spotify for artists. I've seen, he uses those campaigns in his, on music, and I've seen the stats from them. And they're also the SEO-driven thing, which has their own perks, but I have seen him get algorithmic playlists from his his own playlisting service. And the Moonstrive thing, and the reason why I tried it is because I saw Brian Hazard tried it, the passive promotion. Yeah, I saw that article too. Um, and so I hit them up, and I was like, hey, Brian Hazard wrote, you know, he wrote an article. I He told me in email that they were solid, and I was like, I'd like to try it. I'd be very hesitant to try most companies unless they come with a personal recommendation. Like now that you told me that you've tried Ugrow, I'm going to reply to their email. I was just going to ignore their email because <laughs> I, I'm not interested in trying like just a random, like, as I don't know if a playlisting company is just going to like do a bunch of bots yeah. and I don't want that in my data, you know? So I would say, uh, when I started, so I wrote that article, I, I don't remember when that article first started ranking. I said four years ago, it's some it's somewhere within the last like three to four years um i would say when that first started ranking most of the companies i tried or maybe not most a lot more of the companies i tried were bot based or just total scams yeah um the scam rate has definitely declined over the last like two or three years for sure um i think because the ecosystem has just matured a little bit so people have become wiser like I don't think people were really aware of how it all worked maybe four or five years ago. And now people are more aware. And so it's harder to scam people. Maybe that's why, but what I will say is that like over the last year, um, I haven't tried a single company that I've has just been an outright scam. Like there, there are different methods. Like, so we talked about SEO based playlists. Another is, um, ad built playlists, um, where you're targeting some like more specific genres and you're running ads to those playlists, just like you do conversion ads, like with, um, your music, like you teach Andrew. Um, but those are not SEO built playlists, but they are like still legitimate playlists. Um, basically every, every company that I've tried in the last year, whether they do SEO or ad based or something else, um, there are few, like just blatant scammers out there anymore. There are still some, but they're definitely, it's not as big of a thing, I think, as it was even like two years ago. Yeah. I feel like I've noticed that as well, that I've seen less people get scammed in the amount of time I've been doing this. I mean, I, I saw, I, I did see people... someone this week, actually, where they showed me their Spotify stats, and I saw, like, all of a sudden, one day, their streams per listener went from, like, a 1.5 per day up to, like, yeah, a 17, you know... and then I was like, what, what is this? Like, what, what had happened here? And they were like, oh, I hired this playlisting company, I got on this playlist, and there was, like, they were getting 17 streams per listener, so they were just running bots on repeat, and so they had emailed them and said, like, like remove my song, refund me. Like, I don't want this. That, I had that happen for one of my clients um, last month, too. 
and I actually forget. I, I guess I shouldn't name drop the company anyway in case I get sued, but I don't I don't remember what company it was. But that was the first time I'd seen it in a long time. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, this is clearly not right. Um, or there all the streams come from that, other, or they're all coming from like some random. And the stream per listener um, was like 14 streams per listener after he had been at like 1.5. It's like, yeah. well, you know that the, and the, you're on a fresh hip hop playlist and your song is like acoustic. You know that it's yeah. not. <laughs> Especially if your song number like 60 or something. Like there's, right. there's no way the streams per listener will be that high. Even if it's number one, it's not going to be that high. But um, yeah. Yeah, so the playlisting thing is hard, but when you find a good one and you blend it, you're doing everything else right. Like it makes sense. I feel like yep. it's a great way to drive like cost efficient streams um, in bulk. And if you are working with a good company, like it's not going to be bots. It won't be as engaged as ads, but it's a great way to supplement ads. Um, yes. Yeah. Get a lot of streams. Are there any other music marketing tools that we haven't? talked about yes we talked about organic content we've talked about ads we've talked about playlisting we've talked about pr and what were its places um what else is there what else have you done (laughs) (laughs) um so something that i'm working on right now i so i kind of said like you have the top of funnel things you're drawing people into your world and then you have um like some point of conversion then you have like an existing base of fans that you're trying to engage um, I think email marketing is a big tool. Um, I'm not sure how much I want to talk about it right now, but <laughs> uh, yeah. I basically I think you shouldn't just be focused. If if there's one thing to say, it's that you shouldn't just be focused on attracting new people to your music. Like I think you should probably be focusing even more on engaging the people that you do attract yeah. and really building like a community and a brand um, and something meaningful around your artistry that exists rather than only ever like reaching out with hooks. Um, I think there are different ways to do that. Email marketing is a way that I really like because my favorite format of communication is the written word. I'm biased because I was like a copywriter at the marketing company and now I run a blog. Um, But I think if you can create some format that's like the deeper level after the the social media, after the, um, they find you in the Spotify algorithm and there's something to enter into, I think it's really important to think through what that looks like for you as an artist and then to start like building that bigger world. It's a great point. It's also way harder, I will say. Like if 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 everyone everyone that talks about how hard it is to keep up with social media and know how to do all the ads or whatever you're doing, knowing how to like build a community and like engage your existing audience is like way more difficult. <laughs> At least in my like it's hard to know like how am I going to email, like, what am I going to email my people regularly? Like, I feel like that's, yeah, that's a, a lot harder. That's one of the biggest barriers to doing email well. So for me, it has, it has just started with carving out a time to write an email. Like, I th- that's how any anything starts, like, if you're doing social media or whatever. But it's like um, every Friday morning, I give myself two hours to write an email to my list, um, which I know most people probably don't have two hours, but, like, you yeah. can do less than that or find 30 minutes somewhere um it starts with finding the time and then the second thing once you have the time you have to know like what you want to write about or what you want like what kind of content you want to create um i think if you can have some kind of framework or like system or template that makes it easier um where you're almost like painting inside of the lines rather than just like looking at a blank canvas every time you you bring up the thing 
um, that can really help you to do it consistently too. But it starts with having the time. Um, in newsletters, like, uh, have you heard of like James Clear's three, two, one newsletter? Like, um, I forget how he structures it. It's like three quotes from others, two ideas from me, like one question to think about. But he has like this framework that he, um, it's like every week he just pulls in, oh, here are three quotes, here are two ideas, here's one question, and that's what he sends out. Hmm. Um, and if you can kind of have some kind of structure that you're filling in, that makes it a lot easier. Yeah. I've noticed that with Brian Hazard's passive promotion email list, it's such like, I... Like, I feel like there's no way he ever has trouble writing his weekly emails because, or actually it's monthly. It's how, it's just an, yeah, e it's an email called I think how, totally wrong. the How I'm like, Promoting My Music This Month email list. So it's just like, he just, obviously he has to spend the time writing it and get everything ready. So that takes time. But like, yeah, it's like, what do you write about this month? It's like, what do you do this month? Like, it's yeah. very focused. There's one thing. Whereas if, I feel like for music artists, it's more vague. It's not as clearly defined. Like if you join an email list for, I don't know, Russell Brunson from ClickFunnels, like, he like <laughs> his whole mission is just all these different ways he's trying to sell you ClickFunnels or whatever Funnel Hacking Live. And so, but like for a music artist, it's I don't know something about it just feels much more vague because it's like well, you talking about what you're doing and how do you balance like the talking about your life and driving people to go do something like listen to a new song buy some merch and there's this weird balance and there's all these different things that go on and i don't know what's... it is hard i'm not gonna lie it's hard i still struggle with that with two story like trying to my favorite emails to write are just like personal stories where it'll be like oh, i spilled coffee on my phone and it died the other day and I, I write that email and then i get like the highest unsubscribe rate of the last month and i'm like come on guys this is a funny story like <laughs> <laughs> aren't you here for this um so I'm still trying, it's, it's hard to dial in exactly like what your brand is about, but I do think that the more clarity you can get, I always start with like, if I'm working with an artist on branding and I used to do this with, um, like fortune 500s at the marketing company I worked at, you start with the core values. Like what are the big picture things that I believe in that I'm about? Um, and then from there, like you apply those core values to like maybe more specific tactical things. So like if, if my core value is uh like joy how does that manifest in the things that i'm doing as an artist mm. um like am i giving to certain charities am i like creating art that's like bright like so you start with the core values then you kind of apply them down um so that's kind of the core but then it's you also have to have just like kind of the bottom line practical things if you're doing like a weekly email like brian's is like how am i how i'm promoting my music this month he, I don't know if he's defined his core values or not, but like it's pretty clear that he tries to be very transparent about what he's doing. Like he mm -hmm. tries to be very detailed. Um, he tries to like be helpful. I don't I don't know how yeah. he defines his core values, but if you were going to define them, like they align pretty well with the actual thing that he's writing about every month. Um, so whatever whatever you are as an artist, um, I think it makes sense to like figure out what's driving you, figure out like the, the baseline things. And then from there, it's usually pretty easy to figure out like, okay, what are some applications of those things? And if mm. you can figure out applications that you can write about regularly, it makes like content production pretty easy. So let's say just a fun little role-playing example. Let's say I am a death metal artist, just, just to make it interesting. 
And, um, like you know, the, the values of the band, it's, it's, again, it's, it's going to be different for everyone. But let's say, like, the band, like, their whole image is that they're dark and they're heavy. Their general social media personality is that the typical metalhead, they're all wearing black shirts, standing in front of a brick wall in black and white. And their music videos <laughs> are very dark and creepy, and they don't necessarily talk much. Like, what does what does that <laughs> mailing list look like? You know, it's it's hard. And then, like, like huh. what would you think, so, what values would that band necessarily align themselves with? Like, they just make music that they, they enjoy, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's a question for that band, Andrew. But <laughs> So, honestly, for that band, maybe an email list, I, I'm just thinking through it off the top of my head, like, if they don't talk that much, <laughs> maybe an email list, like, isn't the, the best format for them to develop like their broader more expansive world maybe it is i don't know Uh, the reason i am so in favor of email lists is because i love to write like that's my favorite format um that's the like the media that i would expand my world into Um, if i'm a death metal group that doesn't talk and is like dark um i would probably try and create experiences that like match that vibe and 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 have fans like find ways for fans to enter into those experiences. So like maybe um like <laughs> I'm not I'm also not a metalhead, so what I say <laughs> is probably gonna sound dumb to people. But it's like maybe maybe on Halloween like you go out and like you like you ask your you ask your fans to do stuff. It's like go out and film a video of you like jamming in your Halloween costume to our latest song and then like send it to us. And then you have like a wall with all these fan videos. But I, mm. I, I try and like create experiences around the aesthetic if I'm not, yeah. if I don't have anything to like say myself, I guess. Gotcha. <laughs> no, I think that's helpful because, you know, it seems like in general your methodology is, is you know, I mean, I agree. Email, email, email is great. Like every artist, I think pretty much every artist should have a mailing list. Um, but it, it, my the reason why I was asking this question because it's really hard for a lot of artists to figure out what to actually talk to the people about. But I think your tip about if you think about like at its core, what is your artist band whatever identify with and value, and yeah. then it's like you're just trying to think of either experiences or stories or content that reflect those values. I think that's a good starting point for for most people. You summed that up much better than I did, Andrew. That was good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I try. I'm a good listener. At least I try to. Um, yeah. Well, we've been going for about an hour, and I like to do a little bit of Q&A after all these calls. But um, before we do that, well, I guess for everyone watching, leave your questions so we can answer some questions. But um, is there any anything you want to tell the people before? Because like, this will be where the video ends. Anything you want to tell the people before... Collins, where should they find you? <laughs> yeah, you can check me out um, at twostorymelody.com is the music blog. Um, twostorymedia.com is the marketing agency. And then I think the thing I would most appreciate from all the people, uh, I just launched a YouTube channel that is nowhere near as good as Andrew's YouTube channel. Uh, Two Story Media, it's at Two Story Media. Um, and that would probably be, if you can do one thing to engage with me, that would be the thing I'd most appreciate. Cool. All right, I'm going to look at the chat. Um, emoji, any conversion campaign budget advice for more streams? I mean, in general, the more money you spend, the more 
dreams you get. But some good advice. <laughs> um, in general, like you, you want to get your cost down because budget is finite. So if you can test more audiences and more ads and get find a winning combination, um, you'll get more streams for the same budget because your only other alternative from that is spend more money, which you probably can't do. Um, insert effects. This one I'll let you talk about. It's not really a question, but you'll probably have an opinion on it. TikTok is a big problem. Now you need to sound TikTok-y. What do you think about that? Uh, I shouldn't agree, but I agree. <laughs> I, I read an article, I forget who it was, but some like music in like record label exec or something saying he thinks TikTok is the most dangerous thing to happen to the music industry in a long time yeah. um, because it's like there's nothing underneath it. He's worried that the industry will move in a direction where there's nothing underneath the eight second format. Right. So there are like, I know there's some artists who will like, play shows where they'll literally just play like the, the TikTok clip that went viral and rotate through. Like I think Jack Harlow has been doing that at some of the shows. Interesting. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I kind of agree. It is, it is dangerous. I think if you view it correctly, like if you view TikTok as a means into deeper connection and engagement with your artistry, like then it can be fulfilling and good in the same way that like ice cream is good if you view it as dessert but if you only ever eat it for meals like then it's bad yeah that's how i think of tiktok it's like if you have the right perspective on it if you view it as a hook into something deeper can be good but if it's all there is then it's pretty unhealthy for you <laughs> yeah that makes sense fabro i have one question my song is on spotify radio playlist and generates forty thousand streams a month can i even push this song how long can this stay in the algorithmic playlist um in my experience like it can stay in indefinitely. It kind of just depends how people engage with it. Um, hey, what have you found with radio, Andrew? I, like, that's always the first kind of algorithmic bump that you see from what I've found. Um, yeah, I found my it understanding kind is of that... just grows slowly over time on mine. But, like, right. I've seen a few people where they have a weirdly awesome radio. Like, an artist that... <laughs> has done like two campaigns they have a couple thousand monthly listeners and maybe 300 followers and they're getting like a really really high amount of streams from radio with no explanation so um for me it's been this like thing that like i never paid attention to and all of a sudden i noticed when they're like oh this is like this is generating like a pretty large percentage of my monthly streams for me it's always been the trailing thing so it's like you run the campaign and then like radio is like kind of under it like the more streams you generate like the more radio play you get that's how it's been yeah. for pretty much every campaign that i've run and i think it it seems like it's just people like you're getting on radio playlists from people who have i don't think it's a ton of new fans just people that like might not be really listening to whatever that's kind of what i think it is but i'm not i might be wrong and that's why i was curious what your thoughts were on it yeah, i think you might be right i'm not actually sure like there, there's the artist radio thing but I think there's there's multiple radios on Spotify. There's like Artist Radio, but like they used to have a separate app or something that was called Spotify Radio, and now well, it's like in I, the regular one. Right. I think it's. Yeah, I'm 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 not sure on this, but is is it just the Artist Radio? Like, and and you could be like, Andrew, you're probably on a million artists Artist Radio. Um. So I, I feel like it's the the thing is yeah. When you're on a free version of Spotify, 
you oh it's just when you try to listen to an artist you can't pick a song you can shuffle their radio and i believe that's the artist right. radio but i think there's other like if you try to play a specific song i don't know what happens i think what it'll do is it kind of just shuffles a bunch of stuff right around that song and i think i don't know if that's also called radio right like the song or album radio yeah right. and also if you turn on i forget what they call it but if you finish an album there's a mode in spotify if you finish an album or a playlist, it'll just keep indefinitely generating right. music for you to hear, algorithmically based on what you were listening to. So I don't know if that's called radio. It sounds like radio to me, but I, th I don't know if that's called like something else. And if it's called something else, like what does that show up in Spotify for artists? Because I've never seen that. I think it's radio. So I think you're right, Andrew. <laughs> I trust you. Yeah, radio's good. Um, to answer your question, Favreau, of like what to do, like should you promote that song? You should, you, it sounds like you're kind of worried you'll mess with like the data and you'll get off of it. Um, I don't think that would happen, but if you're really worried, like promote other songs, you know. But I don't think I think it would be fine. Like if you promoted that song, I don't think it would hurt your artist radio. Zonant or excellent? Any advice for artists who have a more eclectic sound that doesn't clearly fit into one genre? This has made it hard for me to find playlists that match the vibe. What do you think? Yeah, it can be really tough. Playlisting can be tough if you're in like a really niche genre um, because there aren't... Most of the playlists are for more mainstream genres. Um, I think if you're in that situation, ads are probably the best route to go because you can get so targeted. Um, yeah, that, that, that would be what I would do. If I'm very niche, I would like try and really hone in on my audience with ads. I agree. Play playlisting can be really hard. E even if you're not in like a niche genre, if you're just doing like any subgenre of metal, <laughs> like playlisting mm -hmm. kind of sucks in the metal world. Like there's some, but like if, so, like, if you go on submit hub and choose like alternative metal, hard rock, whatever, and you're trying to go for like a let's say just to give you an artist example like your 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 band sounds like breaking benjamin mixed with like i prevail and bring me the horizon so you're kind of in this like hard rock metal space if you go on submit hub and search for alternative metal and hard rock you're going to get like old school classic rock kind of hard rock and or or on the flip side like death metal you're, you're like, you're, you're going to find maybe two playlists on all of Submit Hub that fit your genre. And alternative yeah. metal, it's like the most popular form of metal. Like Breaking Benjamin is, in the metal world, a pop artist, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, never mind if you're like Tool, you know, you're this very intricate progressive metal or you're like uh, Meshuggah, this very complicated, heavy, heavy thing. Um, but if you're doing like indie indie pop and it's kind of like an eclectic weird indie pop you'll probably actually do quite good on submit hub because they have like they have a lot of playlists in that kind of indie world yeah that's totally true the more mainstream indie pop just commercial pop um hip-hop tends to do really well yeah um fritz music charts it was possible to subconsciously impact Austin Kramer, editorial Spotify. He was watching Instagram stories of my feature, Lydia, on our song. 
Our song ended up in the Dance Rising 1.7 million follower playlist. Even though the song didn't fit properly, but somehow our messages on Instagram made him add the song to an editorial. Well, dope. That's crazy. So all you got to do, apparently, is find the curators that work at Spotify's Instagram account. <laughs> and then, and then uh, send them messages with your song. Now, I, I've heard of people that actually know people that work at Spotify. And in the past, they were able to, like, turn it into editorial coverage because, you know, relationships and stuff. And then eventually, like, the guy tried to reach out and get a song added. And he was like, no, like, they'll, like, fire you for that now. It, it's like... Yeah, I've heard that they're pretty strict about it. Um, at least everything that they put out officially is, like... Yeah. No, we are very strict about it. But I do, I mean, you always hear of the, like, kind of the underground stuff that goes on. I know a band that one of the editors came to one of their shows that they opened for or something. And so somehow they got his email and they emailed him when they put out their track like a month later. He never responded, but their song did get like an editorial placement. Mm. And then they emailed like, thanks. And he sent back like a winky face. <laughs> so <laughs> I know a few people who, either through their, like, essentially through their label or their management, they were able to directly reach out to someone at Spotify, get a conversation with someone, and mm -hmm. influence getting on editorial. Like, in one case, it was like, this song is perfect for this playlist, just reaching out to the person, being like, hey, add this song, please. Do it. And then it happened. Yeah. And then another one, a, a label managed to get a meeting with, like, the artist team and someone, a representative at spotify because every like distributor and every like major label like they meet with people from spotify on like a regular basis i guess is what i've, what I've heard and they were able yeah. to bring their their this is a case where pre-saves actually mattered they were able to go and say like this song got x amount of pre-saves and x amount of shares on tiktok already before the song came out you I should thought add pre-saves i thought pre-saves didn't well, I guess they were showing them, like, in the other... They were showing them the back end of, like, whatever landing page thing they were using. Right. And so they were able to say, like, you know, you should add this to your editorial playlist because, look, it's, it's already be been used in, like, 250 videos. It's already gotten, you know, a couple hundred or a couple thousand. I'm keeping the numbers broad, but to pre-saves. Um, and they were able to use that to entice them to add it to the editorial and so it, to me that almost sounded like your blog example where the big bloggers are adding songs that they know will attract eyeballs and generate more ad impressions mm -hmm. that's at spotify there might be a little bit of we should add this to our playlist because they're going to bring listeners into that playlist <laughs> yeah i actually don't think that that's a super motivating factor for spotify because it doesn't sound like it either. the way the the way the model works is like people actually do use those playlists for like new music discovery. Yeah. They're not like, it kind of works the other way around. People follow those playlists because they want to like find the new songs versus like, I mean, how often do you go to an artist's profile, like scroll down to their discovered on section and be like, Oh, let's look at this playlist that they were on. Like yeah, maybe once in a while, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Never. That's yeah. Literally I've never. Well, I guess maybe I have, but, yeah, I mean, like, maybe if you're like, oh, I really love this artist, like, what are, yeah. I'm really trying to find some similar artists, maybe on a deep dive. But I think yeah. in general, like, it, the model is just the opposite way. So I don't think Spotify is incentivized to. Maybe not, but they they do apparently take that into consideration. 
Like, if, yeah, I mean, they have I to like the song, but it sounds like if there's a song that they know has some attention to it, it can sway them into making them more likely to add it to their playlist. And what incentive would they have to do that other than... I think they just want to keep the labels happy. I guess that could be it, too. And they, they give the label something to do for them <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, maybe there isn't an incentive. Because, I mean, I guess the incentive could be the artist will share the Spotify playlist. And that might drive more subscribers to Spotify. But probably, maybe not. Like, I don't know if it would. Like, I feel like at this point, everyone pays for whatever streaming service they're going to use. Right. The market's pretty developed. Every artist is on every platform. It's like it almost doesn't matter. It's not like Netflix and Hulu and Disney and Paramount where you need like all of them. Thank goodness. Yeah. That would be awful. It would be. Although, honestly, that would probably make the streaming payout a lot higher. Like if if you you had to pick what platform you were going to be exclusive on and they still cost yeah. the same amount of money, there would be less streams on the platform, so you'd probably make more. But it would be awful for listeners. And it'd be really hard to promote because, like, you if you picked Apple, Apple's not doing too well. You run your ads to your Apple, and it's like, well, way more people have Spotify. So guess what? Most people are never going to hear your song, <laughs> which sucks. Right. Uh, yeah. So I, I think it's good that we don't have that. But money-wise, probably would make more money. But maybe not once you include everything else in the artist business. Uh, did you see that Spotify Netflix series says for its music charts? I did not see it. Did you see it, Andrew? I haven't. I heard about this. It was called, it was called like the playlist or something? Or, what was it called? The playlist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Came out on a, oh, it's a it TV like... show. Came out on October 13, 2022. Um... Yeah. What's the premise? It's a fictionalized show about Spotify. Um, it tells the fictionalized story of the birth of Spotify along with its early challenges. So I'm guessing... Daniel Eck? Daniel Eck. They have, like, a guy playing him? They must. I mean. Oh, yeah. Uh, Edvin Andre plays... I don't know. This is a Swedish actor. Is this show... Is it Swedish? Is it it yeah, is it Swedish? Um it's not saying on Wikipedia. Yeah, the country of origin is Swedish or Sweden and United Kingdom. I don't see a language though, but hmm. I wonder if it's in English or if it's like dubbed. I mean, it makes sense to star Swedish people considering Daniel Eck is and the company is Swedish. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. I gotta check this out. I've been meaning I've been I heard about it and I meant to check it out. Because I've heard a lot about the history of Spotify and like essentially the whole reason why it was developed was to make music consumption so easy and affordable that music piracy dies. Right. And it accomplished that. Unfortunately it had a bunch of other downsides, but it also had a lot of good sides. But um Yeah, I think it was kind of an inevitable progression after the advent of music piracy so now the gaming industry is going through the same thing with like game pass and whatever like instead of buying a new game every month or right. every two weeks you just pay 
Microsoft 10 bucks a month, and you get unlimited access to hundreds of video games. And right. video games cost a lot more money to make than albums. <laughs> so Yeah, true. There's been a lot of stuff coming out about that, like you're devaluing gaming. And it's like the exact same conversation that happened when Spotify came out. You're devaluing music. You're devaluing movies or TV shows. What do you think about all that? You think Spotify is the big evil bad guy in the room? No, I don't think that Spotify is the big evil bad guy. Um, man, I think it's just a tough, it's a tough world. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think with if the given that the internet exists and that people are like have access to so much information, like you you create that the feeling that you have the right to access all the information. And then once that exists, it's really hard to be like, yeah. one person breaks the, like if Spotify breaks the floodgates, then nobody can ever, like it's hard for a band camp to exist or it's hard for somebody to only sell physical copies. Like even Taylor Swift is back on Spotify because I mean, whatever, like once one person offers it at that level, then everybody has to be at that level. And somebody was going to offer it at that level. I think Spotify yeah. does a, fairly decent job at trying to make it like at trying to compensate artists i don't think i know there's like discussions about is the um payout model fair i forget like what the term is but um yeah you, did we talk about this last time andrew we might have i mean there's the whole user-centric versus right versus yeah that's it user-centric and i think i've heard that they've done they say that they've done studies where like user-centric like wouldn't necessarily benefit more artists than yeah, the problem is, at least when I looked through it, it seemed like they were very much, like, bullshitting. <laughs> like, because... <laughs> I didn't look at the... If, if yeah. you make your model user-centric, you kill all bots in the platform immediately. Right, like, that's what you said. That's such right, a, like, a no-brainer thing. And I have to imagine that the only... I mean, like, yeah, maybe the code's more complicated to do the user-centric thing. But honestly, is it really? I don't think it is. Like, I can think of how you might, like, and I'm, I'm not a software developer. I know a little bit of programming, but, like. So what's, so you think it's just, it's profit incentive? Like, that's I why. I feel like it's some label thing. Like, they don't want, because the, the way it works now, it's like, if you never so, listen to Taylor Swift on Spotify, you, most right, of your streaming my, subscription is going to Taylor but, Swift. But so then the way it works then is that like if you stream Taylor Swift 10 times and all your money goes to Taylor Swift, but wouldn't, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm not good at math, so I might just be, told, wouldn't that benefit the labels and like the big players? Because doesn't Taylor Swift account for like, don't those artists account for the vast majority of Spotify streams? So, well, I, understand. I think, and it's hard to really know for sure. I mean, I don't know if there, there might be a study that shows that, but I don't think I've seen that. But the thing is that like the people who generally listen to those mainstream artists kind of just listen to whatever is popular, like on repeat. They're not like going out and listen to right. a bunch of new things. And so they skew like the streams from the platform. And also like the bot thing, like it right now, the way it works is like when a company runs bots on an artist, they're making profit off of that and they can inflate the numbers and they're devaluing the cost per stream for the rest of the platform. If it's user-centric, it's physically impossible for a bot to make profit because the bot can only give the money that it's paid into its account. And so I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm just kind of guessing that it's some label BS, but it's like there's been a lot of labels that have been caught inflating the numbers with bots in the past. 
Yeah, maybe it is some label BS. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have I seen that study you talked about, and it seems like they made a lot of generalizations where it just doesn't seem right that I might never, I've never once listened to a Drake song, and I bet a decent chunk of the money. Oh, come I, on, Andrew. You've listened to one Drake song before. Not, well, not on Spotify. Not on my Spotify. You went to the show. The show? Oh, like a concert? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't like hip-hop. <laughs> but um like a lot of my money's gone to drake and it's like why isn't it like if i exclusively listen to like these 10 artists why is it that almost none of the money that i pay to spotify goes to those artists it goes to like the major artists and yeah, i don't care like right. if that means that certain artists make less money i still think it's a fair system like if i make less money under that system i still think it's more fair i yeah i tend to agree with you I don't know. Maybe there is some label BS behind it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, too, if, like... I mean, I don't know. I'm not, like, a lawyer. But, like, what is all the contract law, like... Um, like, there's probably um, some bureaucratic stuff in the background that makes it difficult to switch models, I would guess. Yeah. I, I, I could imagine that would be the case. I don't know. I am not, like, a music business expert, but... Generally, the vibe that I get when when I hear Spotify people talk, this is this is where my general perception comes from. Like when I hear Spotify people talk, I don't feel like they're trying to screw artists over or like they're yeah. just trying to be like a, a big label puppet or something. Like I, I generally feel like they're trying. Yeah, it's hard for them. That's the vibe that I get when I listen to Daniel Acker. Like Ari Hurstan did an interview with some guy who's like the head of Spotify for artists or something. Yeah, listening to them talk. Forget his name, but yeah, I was he name dropped me. And so I, I DM'd him on Twitter. Hey. I forget his name. Famous. Um, Sam. Sam Duboff or Duboff. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. Like, I don't think they're, like, trying to screw over artists, and I don't think they're being greedy. Like, they give away 70% of their money that they make to artists. Right. So it's like when people say Spotify needs to pay artists more, my return is Spotify needs to – if Spotify wants to pay artists double, they need to charge customers double. Like they can't pay out right, and, I, and Spotify isn't even—they're not even profitable yet, are they? I, don't I think, think in the profitable. last few years they finally became profitable. But when when you look at the math of like their history and for most of their life they've been in the red, um, and the fact they pay seventy percent of their income to artists, it's like where are they magically just going to right, raise the streaming rate? Like the only way to do that is to right. raise and and are fans going to pay thirty dollars a month for Spotify? Like if, right, and then you lose Apple Music and YouTube Music and Amazon. And so the only way to like raise the streaming payout is to have like a law that says you have to pay X, X per stream. But then like then you, the government's involved, and then that's a nightmare. <laughs> and it's, um, right. Because if at Spotify raises it, Apple won't, and then they'll dominate. <laughs> and if Apple does it, but Amazon right. doesn't, because like Apple doesn't care if they lose money on Apple Music. You know, they're Apple. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's why I think it was kind of inevitable that streaming, like the streaming ecosystem, would develop. Because yeah. as soon as one person was offering it, then that was that was going to be it. Yeah, there was one kind of like silver lining I saw recently. <clears throat> um, Spotify mentioned that they're going to be like raising their price soon. I forget what they mm -hmm. said to like twelve bucks or maybe I don't think it was fifteen. I think it was like twelve or thirteen, but. Then, like, Apple put out a statement saying that they would 
they were going to be raising it to like the exact same amount. And so <laughs> I, 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 like, I was worried that like if Spotify raised their money because they, they can pay out more, it's like, then everyone else would stay low and then that Spotify is worse. But if everyone just raises their money, like obviously that sucks for consumers if every company just raises their budget, but, um, to pay artists money, you have to make money. So I kind of found that nice that like, okay, these guys aren't just going to fight to get them. You know, Apple's like, we're going to charge you a dollar a month <laughs> for, for unlimited music. Like they're not, right. they're not price gouging and trying to get it down. The interesting thing about the models too, is that there's like two layers of consumers because like you have the artists too. Yeah. So you have like the stakeholders, the artists and the users of Spotify. Um, and I think part of the reason Spotify has been as successful as it has is because it, it actually they actually do do a fairly good job of catering to the needs of art. Like, obviously, yeah. they don't do a great... There's tons of things that are imperfect and they kind of suck at. But the fact that you have so much control over, like, the back end of your Spotify for artist profile, like, the fact that, um, you know, like, they're a third-party playlist on the platform, like, it's more of a social platform. There's lots of things that they do that they kind of pioneered on the back end for artists to be able to have more control over. And I think that's part of why Spotify is successful. Um, but it's an inter it's interesting when you think about like, they they don't want to just drop their rates to the baseline because that would screw over the artists and the artists are a major stakeholder for Spotify. So yeah. hopefully there's some balance to how they think about things. Yeah. It's a weird business to be in. Streaming. It's the weirdest, it's the weirdest. But like a lot of people praise title. For having such good payouts, but like Title doesn't have an artist platform. Title doesn't provide artists with any tools to help them share their music or get an editorial playlist. Like they have Title Masters, but you have to like pay money to submit music on there. And um, so Spotify pays kind of mediocrely, but they provide a lot of extra things for artists. Um, so it's yeah, and that's the interesting. That's kind of the shift has been that. It used to be like that the music itself was the ultimate value and now it's like the music is the entry point yeah into the deeper value which i think was still the case you know back when you were like when vinyl was the medium of choice but i think it's more the case now like spotify is the entry point the listening yeah. is the entry point it's kind of like my youtube channel like the the views like, I make money off of YouTube, but, like, that's really, it's, like, peanuts Thanks. compared to what you make off of, you know, selling courses, consultations, doing affiliate things, sponsorships. Like, yeah. my, my one-month video DistroKid sponsorship, it pays me 50% or, like, 30 to 50% of my entire month's ad revenue for one sponsored video. So, yeah. you know, and it's, like... And then the course, the you know, course sales and affiliate revenue and consulting. It's like the the content makes money, but it's just it's just like the entry point into my ecosystem of things. And the music is kind of like that too nowadays, at least, um, where the music gets the fans in. The diehard fans will will do a bunch of other things. Most people don't; they just consume the the free thing, and that's fine. But a certain percentage will want more, and that's where you actually like can make a career out of music. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. It's weird. It's a weird world. Yeah. Because I think as I was hesitant to call myself a musician earlier, but now I'm going to claim the title. 
Like as musicians, you really value the thing that you make. Like you value the art, the music so highly because um, you put so much of your emotion and identity into it that it then feels strange to be like, well, that's just the entry point into something yeah. else. It's like, well, wait, that's something that like I really poured sweat and tears into. That's the thing that we all care about. Yet it's the thing yeah. that makes you the least money, generally. <laughs> <laughs> like the yeah, merch, the merch that artists don't give a damn about will make considerably more money than the music itself that they care much more. I about. know. I mean, I guess like the show I thing, know. like the music is what sells the concert tickets. And yeah. So uh, I did a like uh, I surveyed my list and asked what income streams they had, um, and far I, I only got like. I think I got 75 responses, um, people who filled out the survey. But far and away, touring, like live shows, was the number one income stream for people who are making more than like ten or $20,000 a year with their music. Okay. Um, yeah. Which totally makes sense to me. Um, I think like experiences are really valuable in the, yeah. in the day and age that we live in. And I think that's one of the easiest things to offer as an artist. But it yeah. was in, yeah, I, I think it was like 98% of the artists making more than like 20,000. Um, their top income stream was shows. I think the only other person was doing like sync licensing. There were maybe oh, yeah. two people were like sync. The sync can pay well, but it's a lot. It's hard to get as an indie artist. Um, I mean, it's hard to get yeah. as a bigger I'm artist. All, but <laughs> I'm not an expert in that world um, either, but I think the key is getting a good agent. Yeah. And if you have a good agent, like, it actually, the size doesn't matter. Like, you can be an indie artist and get some placements. I have a yeah. friend who's been on, like, some Marvel shows um, because he's with an agent that's pretty pretty good. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. Live show like, shows are, are the primary thing, it seems like. Yeah, a lot of people I know um, that are, you know, do it full-time, do music full-time, and, like, they're not doing a bunch of other stuff. Like, they're just doing music and, like, music-related things. Um, touring is yeah. a big part of it. I do know uh, several people who, like, they only do streaming and they have digital stuff and maybe they have, like, a, a community, like a Patreon kind of thing. Um, yeah. But a lot of the more, like, traditional artists will do shows and they do that. The, it's a scary business. Like, one guy I know did a, did a tour and, like, he bought his own tour bus for the tour and it was like they bought a used tour bus for like a hundred grand and at the end of the tour it's trash basically <laughs> because did they make it did they make it back yeah yeah but like it's barely like they're like you know they're having to stop places and get things repaired and, and um and here's what i would say if you're just starting out you don't have a tour bus house shows that's the jam <laughs> yeah my brother just did like a series of house house shows this summer you can make you can make solid money with house shows and you don't have to have a tour bus you don't have to have much of a setup like if you can play guitar or piano or something yeah that's the jam or even just just doing only local stuff or like short yeah. tours like like four or five date things that are all like let's say you live in new york you do like new york connecticut rhode island massachusetts and then you go back because that you can yeah. do on a bus and maybe get some hotels or you might know friends that you can stay at their place or something but so what they do with the tour bus after that after they trashed it uh i don't know 
I think they just they just try to get as much money as they can selling it. Like so, they get sold for scrap or whatever. But he says every time they tour, they pretty much are buying a new tour bus <laughs> um, because they buy it used because they can't afford like a brand new fancy one, and it just gets demolished having to drive like literally from California to Massachusetts back to California. Yeah, it's um, a lot. Especially where the amount of starlight. Yeah, yeah. And it's just scary, too, because, like, I hear some of the, the the people I know who do bigger shows, like, some of the dates they have are buyouts. So they're what they're doing is they're buying out the whole night of the venue. They're not, like, getting hired by a promoter. They'll go to the venue and, like, pay them $15,000 to rent the venue out for the night. They're selling tickets right. on their own. If they don't sell enough tickets, they might be out fifteen grand for that night or something, you know? Yeah. And whereas, like, if, you, if you're on a show, you're usually given a guarantee, and you might be given a bonus if it sells better. Um, so it's like, I've talked to people where they're like, oh, yeah, if this tour goes badly, my company's going out of business. If this tour goes great, I will have made a couple hundred thousand dollars in profit. And it's like, it's, it's so cutthroat, it sounds like. that You gotta be a gambler. Yeah. And, like, they try to make sure it's going to go well, but, like, there's so many, like, with COVID and stuff, there's so much you just couldn't control, like, oh, this place is closed now because this, this state has, you know, they haven't lifted this policy yet. You know, and there, there was all this stuff happening where even, if, you know, COVID's been, you know, in the United States, over for, for a bit now. Um, it's still kind of scary touring in this market because a lot of people still don't feel comfortable going to like a concert where you're like grinding against strangers. But. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know if I ever felt comfortable with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe in high school. Did you ever go to Warp Tour before it shut down? No, I didn't. I wasn't my crowd, Andrew. I was always like the singer songwriter, yeah. like more. <laughs> I just remember like being covered in other people's sweat. For the first time, that was how I felt. Like, because it's like yeah. 90 degrees, middle of summer, and you're like, just there's people all around you, just like bouncing around, and they're just like dripping sweat. So you're just covered in strangers' sweat like all day. And it's, it's fun, but it's, what is, it's <laughs> very gross when you think about it. Um, that was your vibe growing up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to go, I probably only went three or four times, but it was like the first time I went, I went like every year after until. I don't know, until I became an adult and had a job and <laughs> kid college and stuff like that. But, um, it was fun. I, I wish it was back. Yeah. yeah. Live shows, I mean, I, th I think music is meant to be performed and experienced in community, like made in community. Like, it, by its nature, it's a very communal thing, you know? It's like a means of, it literally is a means of communication. Yeah and a means of like expressing emotion and i think when you're at a show and you're just in a room with people who are all like singing the same song like it's one of the coolest experiences that you can have as a person i think yeah it's very participatory in a way that like watching a movie is not participatory reading a book isn't participatory like music is cool in that it's participatory yeah 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 and it, people will see the same artist every year they come around to and um it's very much different than like Broadway, even though it's kind of the same thing. It's like people performing on stage. It's like a lot of people might only see a Broadway yeah, but, show once, like a movie. But a band, they might yeah. see every year for the rest of their lives if they really, really love them. Or, or they might yeah. see every couple years. 
Um, I think it's because you join in with the band in a way that you don't join in with a Broadway performance, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I've seen I've seen the Book of Mormon three times. So once on Broadway in New York and twice in, in Boston. <laughs> like they have a touring thing. I don't know if you've seen that musical, but it's, no, it's that's the, the funniest that piece of South Park guys. Yeah, it's like the funniest, <laughs> most offensive piece of content that I've ever consumed. And I love it for that. And um, uh. and I don't like sing the songs when I go there. I mean, I, honestly, I, I'm not much of a live show person either. Like when I go see a band live, I'm like the music nerd in the corner, just like staring at the musicians. I'm not like jumping around <laughs> singing, but um, you know, no one's singing in a Broadway show, but in a concert, all people yeah. are screaming, they're, they're jumping around, they're having a good time. Half of the people are drunk or on drugs as well, but right. they're, they're enjoying their lives and that's good. Um, yeah, it's a very unique thing and it's it may it still somehow makes good money, although there's a lot of venues that really try to screw artists, it seems, with the whole like merch take percentage thing that's become standard. Yeah, it's weird. My uh my brother was like ran the merch table for a tour last year. He's like you'd have live real time negotiations at the end of every show where they'd be like renegotiating the percentage. Yeah, like the the venue might like depending on where you're at, it's like fifteen to thirty percent venue takes cut of all yeah. merch sales, right? Right. So you're saying yeah. that the yep. venue might be like at the end of the show, it, we want. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it, right. Yeah, it probably varied from venue, but maybe if like they didn't sell as many tickets as they had thought oh. they would, maybe the venue's like, oh, like actually, that's going to be thirty instead of the twenty percent that, like every yeah. night at the end of the night, he would have to negotiate with whoever was settling that i guess not at every venue but he was like that's a common occurrence and it's like the worst thing ever <laughs> yeah yeah they probably it probably wasn't like in writing or something or whatever or yeah i don't know again i'm not like a music business guy so i'm not sure what the contracts were with the venues but i it, feel I like that, that should be a... like illegal <laughs> yeah know? i wonder i wonder if there was like some range or if they're like based on like ticket sales maybe like alcohol sales or something like it'll fluctuate um but his literally like what the what the manager told him was like have this hard number that like you won't back down from yeah um and that was like the that's the job <laughs> sucks it sounds like a horrible time i hate like negotiating on money it's just i'm an awful negotiator if you negotiate with me you win <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not very good either um, I just don't enjoy it. I mean, I, I'll do it if I have to, but um, depends how passionately I'm on it. I hate it. Like I, I've had. Yeah, that's true. It depends how. I've had to like a, you go to like a foreign country and like you're buying something from a random like the Dominican. Anything you buy there, it's yeah. all like negotiable. And um, right, you know, but like I feel like sometimes I've been places and someone starts negotiating prices and I'm just like, never mind. I'm not buying this anymore. And then they'll go down in price, and they're like, "No, no, I'm serious. Just like, f off. Like, I don't. I'm just done. I don't." It's like a door to door salesman. If someone comes to my door and tries to sell me something, I'm like, "I don't care if I want this and how good your deal is. You came to my effing house and tried to sell me something. Leave. Like, no matter what it is, it could be like it could be like a fifty percent off car. I'm gonna be like, leave. <laughs> I hate that. But um, send me an email about it. Yeah. 
Anyways, man, we've been going for a while. Uh, so I think we'll call that the stream. Um, thanks everyone for hanging good. out. For all nine of you still hanging out. I think, I don't know what the peak was. The peak was 18. For a lot of it, which is cool. But yeah, thanks everyone for hanging out. Smash that like button if you haven't yet. And um, I'll see you in the next video.